This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, it's championship weekend. I mean, only one thing. Somewhere at some time, the New England Patriots are playing. And you know what? They are. Sunday in the early game. Uh, Ron, I think that's what? 3.05? 3 p.m.? Something like yeah, that? You're right. 3.05. Um, well, just to guess, but I think the rest of the country may be suffering from Patriots fatigue, and, and maybe maybe you are too. But but you've got to admit, I mean, a seven-straight conference championship game, man, that's remarkable in an age when dynasties really are supposed to be like dinosaurs. Yeah, well, I agree. You know, I, I think it's a reflection on a number of things. You know, sort of obviously reflects well on Belichick and Brady and, and the organization and Bob Kraft and all that. I also think it reflects pretty poorly on a lot of these other organizations that seem to be run by a collection of nitwits. Uh <laughs> You know, and I mean, really, I mean, you know, it ain't like we're talking about the the Giants and the Bears and the 49ers and the Cowboys slugging it out, you know, the Eagles. Right. I mean, it's, times are different for whatever reason, but uh, you're right. It's a, I mean, it's a fantastic feat. Uh, yeah. And uh, they keep winning it, winning those championship games at home as well. So uh, I would say they got a damn good chance to get back to another Super Bowl. Hey, Goose, and I know you're on remote, Goose, but um, – to me, this is a greater accomplishment than what Buffalo did in the 1990s, which is getting to four Super Bowls. I think mostly because, A, it keeps going on and on, and, B, they actually have won Super Bowls, and five of them, as a matter of fact, and, C, it's, it's done in a salary cap era. Well, when the Patriots go to four consecutive Super Bowls, get back to me. Even, uh, I think the greatest team ever assembled was the Lombardi Packers, and, and even right. they couldn't go to four consecutive championship games. That, that's, that's quite a feat. Yeah. Um, well, if, if Ron, if you're Doug Marone, what are you telling your players? Well, I think you're telling them that uh, – uh, look, defense travels. We play good defense. Uh, you know, we know what we have to do. We got a guy running the organization, Tom Coffin, who's beaten these guys twice in, 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 with exactly the way we play football, pounding the ball, uh, playing defense, and, and just getting enough out of your passing game. Uh, and uh, we got a kicker, so why can't we do it? That, yeah. and, and then I would just parade Coffin there and say, tell them. Tell them. They were 18-0. and 0. They already had the T-shirts printed up. Yeah, well, they you know what I'm saying? T-shirts to Haiti. What I'm telling you and our listeners is we're going to talk about that and much more, including the Hall of Fame's class of 2018 with former GMs Ernie Corsi and Charlie Castle. And we're going to check in with Hall of Fame voter Mark Craig from the Minneapolis Star Tribune to get the lowdown on the Vikings and their chance of making history, Goose. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Got a lot to get to, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, here we go again, guys. Uh, it's long after uh, I'd written that uh, Judgments column last weekend on Sunday saying, I can't wait till the next talking head calls the Minnesota-New Orleans game the greatest finish in playoff history. That, that ESPN, the worldwide leader... I mean, this is true. I had a panel of former players talking about the game the day after and asking the question, greatest playoff finish ever? <laughs> Come on, man. Goose, doesn't anybody remember the Immaculate Reception? Come on, Clark. You know that the latest is always the greatest. ESPN went on the air for the first time in 1979, and any game that happened before that, well, didn't happen. 
<laughs> well, uh, yeah, the Immaculate Reception is first on my list. And I'd have to say probably either of the Patriots' last two Super Bowls are up there. Uh, Super Bowl 36, I guess, with Kevin Dyson. One short. No, it's Super Bowl 34, I think, with Kevin Dyson one yard short of the end. So I think it was tackled by Mike Jones uh, on the last play of the Super Bowl. And, and how about the Steelers and Cards in Super Bowl uh, 43. I didn't even mention the Colts 58 overtime defeat of the Giants. God, a lot of these things. Well, Ron, where are you going? Well, uh, uh, it'd have to be that 58 championship game. Look, it's the one that changed pro football, made it America's obsession, had 14 future Hall of Famers on the field or on the sidelines at the time. It had the right. number one offense against the number one defense. It had Unitas whipping the Colts downfield uh, to force something called overtime that very few people understood, including most of the players who started walking off the field, scratching their heads, saying, geez, I guess there's no champion, uh, you know. And then, of course, it had the incredible final drive for the win, you know. And and hey, by the way, what about our friend John Elway in the drive against the Browns? Yeah, in the oh Asian yeah, right. NFC Championship game, 98 yards in five minutes and two seconds to force overtime. We can go on and on before we ever get to that slappy game last week. Hey, hey Ron, yeah, when, uh, put- I was going to ask Ron when, when United whipped the Colts down the field. Did that provoke Devo song whip it? Is that was that <laughs> exactly no? exactly right? He was watching no. as a young okay. lad. Go ahead, Goose. <laughs> I'll take the Bills rally with a backup quarterback from a 32-point deficit against the Oilers. Teams down 35-3 to at halftime generally don't rise from the dead. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Goose, you, you mentioned earlier a simple question, though, is why is it that if something didn't happen in the last 30 minutes today, we don't recognize it? Because we don't. I mean, it seems like nobody does. Well, I wouldn't say we, because I'm not a member of the fraternity that believes the latest is the greatest. My memory bank goes back six decades. I don't need ESPN or anyone else to tell me. I just watched the greatest football game ever played. I know better. Yeah, no, and so do I. But, Ron, um, you know, it does seem like that, like the latest is the greatest. I don't know why we've caught in that mentality. Well, unfortunately, you know, it's the world we live in. History doesn't exist. Uh, right. You know, the truth doesn't even exist. You know, uh, I had the biggest rally ever, even though I didn't have the biggest rally ever. But if I say I do, I did. You know, <laughs> it's, yeah. just, it's on. It's everywhere. It's <laughs> yeah, right. a, every place you go, everybody's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Every guy who ever lives is the greatest this or that. You know, and uh, and they act like if you bring up these these uh, historical markers, these big moments. Yeah, hey, how about the catch? How about the catch, Dwight yeah. Clark, our friend Dwight Clark? Yeah. You know, I was right. in the coach's box and watched Ditka throw his headphones at the other uh, Dallas coaches. You know, I mean, <laughs> that started a whole generation of, of 49er dynasty, you know. so people, yeah. But they've forgotten well. that. I mean, gosh, that was, what, 30, uh, 37 years ago, so it didn't happen. Yeah, right. Ron, what yeah. were you doing in the coaching box? Were you, did you call that uh, defensive lineman? The I'll tell you or? what happened. I went, you know, I had to go, you had to go upstairs and then down the hallway yeah. there to get out to the. Well, yeah, I right. went up there. And I realized, holy, you know, I thought the game was over. And I said, holy God, here they come. So I said, this is how different it was back in those. I said, well, I got to see. Hey, there's an open door. I just stepped in the back of the coach's box. Nobody said a word. <laughs> and Ditka was like swearing. Every, every time they completed a pass, he was swearing at the defensive coaches. It was hilarious. And then, you know, and then he fires his headphones, forgetting he's got to call plays because there's time left in the game. It was great. <laughs> what what's so great for Dallas? Hey, uh, here's something else I want you to explain. And Goose, I'll start with you. Well, where does Marcus Williams' uh, bonehead play? I mean, I'm sorry to call it that, but I guess uh, we call him as we see him. But uh, anyway, where does his mistake rank among the all-time playoff goofs? I mean, I immediately thought of uh, Denver's Raheem Moore when I saw that, and he, of course, pulled that uh, somewhat same move in the 2012 playoffs against Baltimore, allowing a 70-yard TD in the last 30 seconds of regulation. Goose, I would think Jackie Smith dropped past the end zone in Super Bowl 13 qualifiers, or maybe that Russell Wilson goal line pass versus the Patriots. Uh, so where does, where does this one rank? 
Well, I cannot believe it's worse than the Russell Wilson throw on the goal line. That, that took a Lombardi trophy out of the hands of the Seahawks. You know, mistakes in conference semifinals pale in comparison to those in Super Bowls. And how about the Ernest Biner fumble in the AFC title game? Oh, yeah. The higher right. the stakes, the more glaring the mistake. Sure. Well, I got one for you. Right up my alley. Red right 88. Brian Sype <laughs> throws an interception with 47 seconds left in the AFC Divisional game against the Raiders in Cleveland, which was the second oldest game yeah. uh, you know, next to the ice ball. Four degrees with 16-mile-per-hour uh, winds. Retigliano tells him, we're going to run red right 88, which is a pass to throw to Dave Logan. If he's not open, throw it in the stands. Instead, <laughs> he tries to throw it to Ozzie Newsom and Mike Davis, who had Mike worse Davis. hands than Captain Hook, intercepts the pass. <laughs> Game over. They win. They go to the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, two weeks later, they're they're going to the Super Bowl. And the thing I remember most, I was down on the field at the end because because we thought it was over, and then and, and then it wasn't. Then it was, and I'm freezing to death. And Upshaw runs by me and goes, "Saved you from overtime, big boy." Because <laughs> we'd have been stuck there on the field, freezing to death. It was. Great. You know what I remember about that? They called it the mistake by the lake, which I they thought did. was great because that's normally what they called the stadium, and they called that they did. Pass a mistake. And I'll tell you the, the other thing I remember is the next morning I was driving to the airport in Cleveland, and hanging from one of the overpasses off on the highway was uh, effigies of Sam Rutigliano and Brian Sight being hung oh, by nooses. Uh, it's always been tough in Cleveland. Hey, Gooseman, I heard Troy Aikman say this mistake's going to follow Williams through the rest of the uh, offseason and through the rest of his life. And you know what? I think he's right. I mean, I even saw on Twitter someone suggested that he guessed on the next Southwest Amer- Airlines commercial, want to get away. <laughs> but Aikman's right. So what, what's your advice to the guy? And let's be honest, if he's a rookie, it happens. But it really shouldn't happen then. It shouldn't happen there. My advice, learn how to tackle. Learn how to use your arms and wrap up what you're hitting. Keep your head up and see what you're hitting. If Williams was looking at his target, he wouldn't have whiffed the target. Okay. How, how do you whiff well, on a guy well, that big? It's not like the guy was a midget. Can we say midget? Yeah. I don't know if we can, but I just did. <laughs> you just did. All rise. Here comes the judge. One guy who almost never made mistakes, and he wasn't a midget either, was former San Diego running back, Paulo. And I'd like to see us talk about him for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. In fact, I wrote about him this week on our website, TalkOfFameNetwork.com, and, and here's why. Because he's been forgotten by almost everybody. Yet nobody in the AFL ran for more yards from 1960 through 1966 than Paul Lowe, and few were as, exp- as explosive and as productive. In fact, from the very moment he stepped on the field, he made an impact, returning the opening kickoff of his first game, the 1960 preseason opener, 105 yards against the New York Titans. Yeah, I know he ran for just under 5,000 yards for his career, and that's going to get nobody's attention. But he played on a team where there were stars everywhere, including Lance Allworth, Keith Lincoln, John Hadle, Tobin Rowe, Dave Kasurik, Jacques McKinnon. God, I love that name, Jacques McKinnon. And later, Gary Garrison. But there was only one football. Yet, Paul Lowe had the highest rushing average in the AFL at 4.9 yards. A figure, by the way, eclipsed by only two of the top 31 backs, or guys with 10,000 yards or more in NFL history. That would be Jim Brown and Barry Sanders. He also is the only back in pro football history to produce six games with 100 or more yards rushing on 14 or fewer carries. And while he led the AFL in rushing from 1960 through 66, he was second only to Abner Haynes in rushing touchdowns. And that's with Keith Lincoln in the same backfield. He was a four-time All-AFL choice, led the league in rushing, twice led it in rushing touchdowns. He was the 1965 MVP. He was the AFL's Comeback Player of the Year, twice, as a matter of fact. He was a two-time AFL champ. He won a Super Bowl. Wow. He was chosen to the All-AFL team, the Chargers Hall of Fame, the Chargers 40th anniversary team, 
and the Chargers' 50th anniversary team. As I said, he didn't produce big numbers, but he also didn't play a long time. He started 78 games and was gone. But Terrell Davis started 77, and he's in the hall. Can he easily start at 87? He's in the hall. So why can't Paul Lowe at least be in the conversation about Ken? He can be, and he should be. Clark, if I had a choice, I'm not sure I wouldn't take Keith Lincoln. Has having shared the same back with Lincoln hurt Lowe's candidacy and vice versa, do you think? Yeah, no, I think it, it has. I mean, he split the carries with him. I look back at, at uh, 63, Lowe carried 777 times. Lincoln, 128. That's when they ruined Ron's Christmas. Uh, but I think being in the same league, Goose is a guy like Johnny Robinson, Gino Capaletti, Charlie Hennigan. I think that hurt him more. I mean, they're all AFL stars who can't get a sniff of Canton and where I once didn't pay attention to the perceived snub of those guys. I do now. So what else I'd pay attention to? Commercial break. we got to go to one. When we return, we're going to sit down with Hall of Fame voter Mark Craig of the Minneapolis Star Tribune. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we referenced the miracle in Minneapolis in our earlier segment, or I don't know, the moment in Minneapolis. I'm not sure what they're calling it, but people can't stop talking about it, including us. So we're going to keep talking, and, and you know, we're going to talk with someone who was there, and that would be Hall of Fame voter Mark Craig of the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Mark, first question, first of all, thanks for joining us, but first question, what was the best headline that you saw coming out of that game? You know, I, I, I think I saw something, you know, Purple Rain, you know, R-E- I G H D N. Uh it's kind of a Prince thing with you know Prince being, you know, having not passed very long ago. You know, uh there's a lot of that. I mean and just the, the atmosphere, uh, you know, this I've only been here since uh since I'm a Johnny come lately came here in ninety nine. Um and like the only moment in their history that they, they talk about where they win at the end is the miracle at the Met, which uh, I grew up in Cleveland and I say that's yeah. that's a that was a hard time for me. I said, but that's your only memory? Well, they, they certainly have a memory now because yeah, that was, uh, you know, obviously a horrendous defensive play, but a hey, give the Vikings credit for throwing it up and, and give uh, credit to Diggs for you having the you know, wherewithal to stay in bounds and, and take it all the way. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, the first thing that came to mind when I saw that was, of course, the, the Hail Mary with our good friend Drew Pearson, who we've had on the show several times. Uh, does that play, and I'm talking about the play last weekend, ease Minnesota's pain of having to suffer through 42 years of another Hail Mary videotape of that playoff <laughs> loss? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. You can say that now, but uh, if we're sitting here a week from now and uh, Ty <laughs> yeah. Forbath misses a 27-yarder wide, wide left uh, you know, with a chance to go to the Super Bowl, then I mean it'll always be it'll always have a place in the history, but it, it certainly will be a bit lot bigger place if they go on to the Super Bowl and and, and then certainly if they win it. Hey, Mark, is, uh, has anyone contacted Nate Wright? And there have there, have there been any whispers about Stephon Diggs <laughs> pushing off on that play? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like. You know, I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear any more about curses. It's kind of funny. Zimmer's had fun with it. You know, someone just blurted out uh, after one of the games. You know, what do you think of the curse? And he, he just, who said that? And then he just said, no, there's no damn curse. And well, you know, Zimmer's looking pretty good now because, uh, you know, this is a, it's a feeling that these people, even the the old timers with the Super Bowls, you know, going back to Super Bowl four, they were favored by twelve points, and you know that the highlights of uh, of. Um, you know, the coach cackling on the other side, Chiefs coach, and then just all this, and then, you know, the modern, the 98, and then Blair Walsh, and, 
You know, so this is a, they're, they're giddy right now. I don't think I've ever seen uh, seen them like this. <laughs> uh, Clark gets giddy every time we say Tom Brady, so we understand giddy around this place, <laughs> let me tell you. But, uh, so now let's move forward. What about this Sunday in frigid Philly? Uh, dome teams don't do too well in the Northeast in the winter, and even though you are called the Vikings, you are, you are now the air-conditioned Vikings. So uh, any worries yeah. in Minnesota about uh, uh, the, the sons of Bud Grant having to go outside to play football? <laughs> yeah, I think the fans, I mean, they're still somewhere up above cloud. They're on cloud 10. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, Zimmer's trying to, uh, trying to bring everyone down. And this is a pretty, uh, you know, especially defensively, this is a, a pretty even keel group. And, uh, you know, but just like last week, you know, we all assume, a lot of people, most of the people assume that the Falcons were going to win. And, you know, I think the assumption now is that it's, you know, it's fold against this this defense, and uh, you look at what the defense did in the first half. I mean, they dominated uh, Drew Brees in that offense. But uh, you know, I certainly you know that's certainly still a good, a good team, and defensively, and yeah, I mean there should be there's not concerns there should be. We're speaking with Hall of Fame voter Mark Craig of the Minneapolis Star Tribune on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffame.com or on Twitter at at talkoffame.net. And Mark. Um, you have a bronze statue of Mary Richards, a.k.a. Mary Tyler Moore downtown, throwing her tam in the air. Question for you. How long before we get a Stefan Diggs figure there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, don't, don't be putting uh, your tongue, uh, attaching your tongue to any statues or anything or poles when you get here. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it was 10 degrees. Uh, I think it got up to 10 degrees, 15 degrees, like last week. And I think we were all out in shorts. It was like it felt like springtime. Um, but yeah, I mean, hey, there's also one at Sid Hartman somewhere outside the Target Center. So is it really? Um, wow. Yeah, there is with his with his microphone. And so uh, I suppose the the uh, don't tell Sid this, but the bar is pretty low here for statues. I guess. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> we won't tell him. We won't tell him. <laughs> of the, uh, the way the game ended, obviously, and all of that, and the, the, all the talk about whether or not you're going to host the Super Bowl uh, with your team in it, uh, everyone seems to have, uh, in a lot of parts of the country, uh, forgotten about that second half. So to put it in my usual 
uh, diplomatic way, Mark. What the hell happened to that defense in the second half? I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. What, what happened? What the uh, hell happened? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think you can only keep your thumb over, over top of Drew Brees for only so long, but you're right. I mean, uh, the storyline, uh, except for the last uh, 10 seconds, and when they kicked that field goal, the storyline is, hey, you know, the defense gives up those points. The fourth and ten, um, they give up that pass to you know that sideline pass where the guy beats the Nickelback um, Mackenzie Alexander. Um, so yeah, I mean there was the, the storyline up until then was was them choking again, it, and would have been uh, defensively and 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 offensively. You know, Keenum throwing one of those passes up for grabs where you know that's one of the things he had, he went in he absolutely could not do. But I think the defense. We have to remember that third and one where you know, they, the defense stops them and forces them to kick that go-ahead field goal with uh, 25 seconds left, it's, to me, was, you know, that's huge. Because I was just having a third and one, and uh, the guy, one of the guys that makes the play is, uh, is uh, Zendeo's backup coming off the edge, uh, Anthony Harris, and making that stop for no gain. Um, you know, that sets it up. Otherwise, they just... Uh, you know, they just run out the clock and kick the field goal with a two or three seconds left or whatever. But yeah, you're right. It, it, up until then, it was it, we'd be we'd be writing the uh, what happened. Uh, why did they choke again? Hey, Mark, we've got about a minute left. But um, my question for you is, what does this run mean for Minnesota's quarterbacks going forward? And, and meaning next year, not next week. But um, what does it mean for Keenum, Bradford, and Bridgewater going forward? Yeah, it's the craziest situation ever. It, it, I feel like it has to play all the way out. I mean, <laughs> through this next game as well. At least that's how I look at it. The only thing I, I see is that I just don't know how you would put um, any kind of money or, or build your team around Sam Bradford because right. you know he plays that game that first week. Uh, there's no visible injury, and and at some point in that game, he wrenched his knee. He didn't. He was only hit. I think he was only touched one time in the game. So at some point in that game, and he wasn't running or anything, he wrenches his knee and he's out for the year. I mean, I don't know how you go down that road again. Um, you know, Keenum is a guy that I think if you, if you win the Super Bowl, you you just say, well, he, he fits and let's try it again, and you give him give him his money. Um, so yeah, I think it has to play all the way out and just kind of see where you know it, he hasn't had one of those. I mean, he hasn't had one of those seasons where he's. You know, he's doing a Tom Brady or he's doing a Peyton Manning where they're winning because of him, but he, he is playing well. So it's, it's really a hard situation to – it's a good situation to have, but it, I think it has to play out. Uh, Goose? Well, you know, one thing I'm wondering uh, is, is you mentioned Keenum and paying Keenum, but isn't that a difficult jump to make too? I mean, it's not like uh, – it's not like he's played like Tom Brady. I mean, he's played well, no, don't get me wrong, but – uh, if you're wrong on that one and you pay him a lot of money, then what do they do? Well, that's why I say that. You know, to me, it's if you win the Super Bowl. I mean, and then you just, and then you're you're playing with house money, and you you, you know, you, you, their defense is young enough, and 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 you would you'd be you have a running back coming back. You'd have a, like a situation where you can try and do the same thing you did uh, this year. Uh, if you don't, if he comes out and throws. Uh, you know, four interceptions on Sunday, and it's a horrible game. And I, I, I don't know. I just, just feel like the evaluation process isn't, isn't over yet. Hey, Mark, uh, is the media party going to be at your house? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
it'll be under uh, some heat lamp somewhere where we'll all be you know, huddled up. Uh, I, maybe we should do ice fishing or something like that. <laughs> there you go. That'd be good. I want. I just wonder how many how many you know people are going to be coming for these parties. It's kind of hard to look cool when you have a hat with uh, ear flaps on it, or you know, and you're freezing to death. So no, it's but not. Apparently, have you haven't seen Ron. You haven't seen Ron in his ear flaps. Okay, I, <laughs> he I'm looks cool. My, I got my Angry Bird hat with the ear flaps. I'm going to be perfect. Here we go. <laughs> Hey, but we do, we'll have ice sculptures for you at some point, some point, somewhere. You'll be able to see those. Sounds like a deal. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for the time and see you in a couple weeks. All right, we'll see you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, you Mark. got it. That was Hall of Fame voter Mark Craig of the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Up next, we're going to hear from a Hall of Fame caliber former GM. That would be Ernie, of course, and get his take on this year's Hall of Fame finals. That's coming up right after this. is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. First GM I ever covered in the NFL was Ernie Acorsi. He was then with the Baltimore Colts, and that was 1982. And I'll never forget what he told me when I met him. He said, I won't always tell you what you want, but I will never lie to you. And you know what? He never did. <laughs> One of a handful well, of I, I tried to, to hold on to that premise because, <laughs> um, you know, in our business, sometimes you can't always tell everything. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, you, should, but, but you should never lie. But, you know, when yeah, I took that job, I thought that was going to wreck my career <laughs> because <laughs> I was given the job in, in June, um, and that was the strike year coming up. So that my first season was a nine-game schedule. And then when I finally got to seven and nine in eighty three, I thought, you know what, you better get out of here as fast as you can. <laughs> yeah, you're oh eight and one that first year, Frank yeah. Bush, and that's when we had the Holden Smith incident during the game. Yeah, exactly. It was great. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, Ernie's been a guest down here before, and I don't need to tell you how much respect we in the league have for him. I mean, heck, when the Giants wanted a new GM, he's the first guy they asked to help, and he's one of the first we're going to ask to help us with the Hall of Fame's class of two thousand eighteen final. So, Ernie, thanks so much for joining us sure. again. Um, listen, I, I wasn't joking about that conversation because I, I do remember it clearly. And then I remember going to San Diego after you counseled me and, and, and telling then-GM Johnny Sanders out there that basically, you know what, I expected the same of him. I'll never forget. He looked at me and said, huh? What? Never lie? What are you talking about? Anyway, I never forgot it. So uh, since you are resident Diogenes here, uh, let's start the roll call of Hall of Fame candidates. And I guess I'll start with someone I'm going to help present, and that's Bobby Bethard. He's the contributor candidate, and he's someone who was a GM about, I don't know, about an hour down the road from Owens Mills when you were in Baltimore. Bobby, of course, was in Washington then. But I remember several years ago asking Dan Rooney if he believed that, as Sports Illustrated once proclaimed in a Paul Zimmerman article, that Bobby was, quote, the smartest man in the NFL, unquote. And he said, yeah, yeah, he was. He said he was also the guy the Steelers measured themselves against. How about you? Well, yeah, I mean, I can't really say enough about Bobby. Uh, he, I think he was, you know, one of the best of a very few group uh, of general managers of his generation. And, you know, what he did, he never failed. The first thing he did is hire Joe Gibbs, and that was not a chalk pick at the time. I mean, other than people who had coached with him or coached against him, in college and then a little bit in the NFL, not a lot of people knew about him. I remember when the Giant, when the Colts traded 
Lydell Mitchell to, to San Diego. And when 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 Lydell came back, I had dinner with him because I had been to Penn State with him. He said, I just played for a coach, the only coach I'll ever mention in the same breath as Joe Paterno. I said, who's that? He said, Joe Gibbs. I'd never heard of him. And that was before Bobby hired him. And if, if you'll recall, I think – I think they started off that first year 0-5, and at the time, that was pre-cable, we used to watch, we got the Washington Channels, and they were, they had a show, the two of them, and they were getting blistered, both of them. I mean, this has got to be a bust pick, and, all, and look what happened after that. So that, that right. to me, that was number one. Secondly, you know, Bobby built those championship teams, and I think he had three of them, uh, without really a lot of high picks. I mean, you know, you didn't see a lot of celebrated number ones in those teams, but he just hit so many players in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. And some of those years we had 12 rounds um, in the low rounds, and he, he put his teams together. Then he went to San Diego and built a Super Bowl team and hired Bobby Ross, which I think was a, was a tremendous hire, too, um, and, and built a Super Bowl team. So I, I just think he was one of the best of his generation. and. Uh, no question how smart he was. He was, a, he was, and on top of it all, you would have never ever dreamed that, that he was because he he was just a good guy. Rarely saw him in a suit. Um, you know, he had that surfer boy image, but he was as good a guy as, as I've ever been around in this league. So I'm so happy he, he's been nominated. You know, it, it, these things that he was. You love to see somebody get acclaimed like that while they can still enjoy it. Right. Ernie, it's uh, my job to present Jerry Kramer to the Hall of Fame Selection Committee uh, at the meeting. Should this be an easy sell for me? I, I really think so. You know, John Madden and I have talked about him in the last couple of years. I, I think he suffered from the book, and I, I don't mean that the book itself hurt him. I, I think that because he got that book was a great book, and it was kind of a trailblazer book. It broke ground. And because it became so famous and so well-known, and, and we all know guards don't get a lot of publicity now, let alone 20, 30 years ago, they got none. And I think people started to think he was overrated. And I think what happened, it, people talk so much about him being overrated, he ended up being underrated. I think he was an absolute Hall of Fame player. I mean, I had dinner with him about two years ago, and he told me a story, and I guess we've all heard these stories, but that Lombardi was really on him in the beginning. I mean, really picking on him and singling him out. And he said, I was, you know, I was either ready to hit him or quit. And I knew if I hit him, that would be the end of my career. And he said, just at the time when he thought that, uh, he obviously saw that I was ready to crack, he came up to me and he said, I treat you like this because you're going to be the best guard in this league. And, you know, he had one of the most famous blocks in history. And as all of us have seen that play so many times, we all know it was illegal procedure. I mean, he beat the snap count by a half a count probably. And he probably realized that's the only way I'm going to be able to get any push on Jethro Pugh. But he wedged him back, and they won the championship in Lombardi's last year. I think he was the I thought Forrest Gregg was the best offensive lineman of that era on that team, and I think he was second to Forrest Gregg. When you see a situation like this where it's been so many years and he's had so many opportunities uh, uh, where he's been a finalist and in the room and, and uh, uh, doesn't get elected and has to go through that disappointment, you know, he's been on our show several times and, and is quite uh, good-natured about it outwardly. But how much do you think it pains a guy uh, – you know, to be in that uh, situation. I always remember Floyd Little telling me that Jim Brown used to tell him, 
You don't need to do this Hall of Fame. You don't need to hear. You know who you are. You know what you were. To which Floyd said, I said to him, yeah, Jim, that's because you're in the Hall of Fame. You know, you could say that. Yeah. It's got to be real painful, Ron. I mean, there's no honor in sports like being elected to the Hall of Fame. And when you see, I think, especially for players with all that pride and, and as good as they were, you know he was a, you know he was a great player that goes without saying but and he sees his, he sees guys go in that he played against and played with that I'm sure he feels I'm as good as this guy you know I'm as good as this guy why can't I get in it has got to be so painful because in a sense for these guys who who basically were stars of their teams all through their childhood and their college years I mean it's a form of rejection it, it, it is. It is really a rejection, and it's got to really hurt them. And, and sure, they're not going to say much about it. They, they have too much pride, and it, and they don't want to whine about it. But it's got to be very, very hurtful. And I, I just think, you know, it's time for him. I really do. But I do think he suffered a little bit from being so acclaimed with that book that it, it kind of, uh, you know, a little bit of like Sam Huff. And Sam Huff was called overrated so much. It started with with that. The violent world of Sam Huff documentary that right. was one of the first specials ever, you know, and and that, that he, you know, and then all of a sudden people were overlooked that he was pretty darn good, and I, and I think Jer- Jerry kind of is like that. I hope he gets in. I really do. We're speaking with former Baltimore, Cleveland, and Giants GM Ernie Corsi on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at at Talk of Fame Net. And, Ernie, uh, let's fast forward to the modern-era class of candidates. There are 15 of them, and there's one virtual slam dunk. That's Ray Lewis, linebacker from the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I say he's considered a virtual slam dunk because of what he did in, in the pros, which is everything. Yet when he came out of college, there were guys who said he was too small to play the middle linebacker position. How did the Giants have him evaluated when you were there, and, and, and how did others miss on this guy? Well, first of all, they deserve a lot of credit for projecting him because he was—he wasn't big, he was huge. He became much bigger. Uh, we had him as an outside linebacker. We had him as a first-round pick, but not as a middle linebacker. He's Clark. He's the quickest linebacker I have ever seen in my my career. I, you, you couldn't really block him. I mean, he—you you, could—if you remember that you know the year they beat us in the Super Bowl. I mean, we we couldn't deal with him. And we couldn't get anybody on him. Now, he, he benefited at about that time with those big, two huge tackles that he had in front of him that kept people off of him. But but he was so quick, he couldn't get him. He, and, and you just couldn't get to him. But as he got a little older, he got bigger, and, and then he became punishing on top of it, but never lost his quickness. I mean, I give Ozzie Newsom a lot of credit there that they projected him for the middle because most you know with that, with that kind of athletic ability, speed, and quickness, that's a natural for the outside, and he would have been an All Pro and probably a Hall of Famer as an outside linebacker. But he had more impact in the middle because you couldn't get around him. He, he reminded me of a guy I played against in high school that uh, you could, he made every tackle. I mean, he was sideline to sideline. They kept, you couldn't deal with him because you couldn't get around him, and and he he was that way. He was like a. Uh, you know the best player in town, who nobody could could really defeat, and I, I've never seen anybody quite like him with that quickness. I mean, he was, and then as I said later, he he became such a hard hitter. He got bigger and stronger, and I mean, he was he's in my list of one of the greatest that I've ever seen. And I saw them all, all the way back to Bill George and Joe Schmidt, and 
and you know of that era, and and he he's right there. I mean, he's 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 as good as I've ever seen. As good as Butkus. Well, he's totally different. I mean, he was just a, a smaller, quicker guy. I mean, Butkus was. Yeah, I, I I have to say that probably the greatest I've ever seen. They were they were two different type of players, but but they were both they're at the top of the list. You know, the problem with all these guys are all great, so it's hard to rank them because they're they're just all great players. They wouldn't even be we wouldn't even be talking about them. Mark, uh, he had quickness too for a pretty big man. Um, yeah, I I think you know like I said though, Ray's the quickest the quickest I've ever seen. He was just I mean he had a he just had a knack of, uh, you, you just couldn't get around him. I was glad to hear what you said about uh, Butkus, uh, uh, Ernie, because I consider you a dear friend, but he was my boyhood idol, Butkus. If you hadn't said Butkus, I would have been in my car driving. No, he was, you know, I, I, I would tell you one thing about Butkus quickly. We played the Bears in 70. They weren't great when I was with the Colts. We beat them. and and But, when, you know, I couldn't get the players out of the training room. They were all beat up. And when John Unitas' son, youngest son, got in a car accident, and and um, <laughs> it was classic Unitas. Unitas went to the hospital. He was okay. He was just beat up, bruised, and and um, he walked into the hospital room, took one look at his son, and he said, "You look like you just played against Butkus." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Butkus would punish you when you got. Out. I mean, that training room was filled that day. <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned Curtis, and I wanted to ask you quickly about him because, uh, you know, Goose and I are on that senior committee, and, and Curtis's name has come up a number of times. Uh, some guys seem to be pro, some guys con. We have about 30 seconds, uh, Ernie. Uh, what do you think of him, uh, his Hall of Fame? I, I'm heartbroken because, unfortunately, he's not, you know, he's not doing very well, and if he ever does get in, he's not going to probably be aware of it. I'm heartbroken because I really think he, he was. I mean, you know, he sacrificed – for the good of the team, if, I, I think he'd be in by now if he would have stayed on the outside. But he was our heart and soul. And, and you know, again, I'll quote John Madden, who had him in a, a couple of Pro Bowls. And, and John has told me, he, he said, Mike Curtis was a Hall of Famer. I really believe Mike Curtis was a Hall of Famer. I mean, he was he was a great player. He was our inspiration. He, 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 he no, no one was going to take a playoff when he was on the field. And he, he just, to me, he, he's... He's made big plays. He made the interception to set up the game-winning field goal for the Super Bowl. Um, I, I just, like I said, I'm heartbroken that he's that if he does get in, he's not going to know it. Probably, it, he, I really do believe he's a Hall of Fame player. Ernie Corsi, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. It's always nice talking with you guys. Thanks, thanks, Ernie. Ernie. Thanks, Ernie. That was Ernie Corsi. Up next, it's the two-minute drill. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we're almost out of time, so Gene Steratore, do what you have to do. That's the two-minute warning. It's the whistle signal. It's time for Ron to get us through the two-minute drill. So, Ronnie, let's get going. Hey, guys, here we go. You need a new coach. You want Josh McDaniels, Matt Patricia, Pat Schumer, or door number four? Trevor, he's the only one of the three who succeeded without that Bill Belichick security blanket. McDaniels, but only if he comes attached to Tom Brady. <laughs> if McDaniels ends up in Indianapolis, will he have any luck resurrecting Andrew Luck? If he coaches luck like he did Kyle Orton in Denver, the answer is no. Depends on how he did on his MCATs. Jacksonville has the number two total defense and number one pass defense. The Patriots have the number one offense and the number two passing offense. 
You like immovable objects or irresistible forces? I like Tom Brady in January in Foxborough. Ditto. I like Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, I know. Love affair. Uh, Minnesota has, a, has the number one total defense, and the Eagles have a dome team outside in frigid weather. What's more important on Sunday, defense or de-icer? I like the dome team that doesn't play like a dome team. Their style makes the Vikings weatherproof. Defense. Temps are going to be in the 40s, Ron. No de-icer necessary. Mike Malarkey got a vote of confidence that lasted a week. Is Titans management's favorite food, bologna? Integrity means more to Malarkey than a paycheck, unlike his employer. Nope. It's a bunch of Malarkey. Is my old friend Tyrod Taylor the Bills quarterback in 2018? If you take a team to the playoffs for the first time in 18 years, you deserve an encore. Only if they plan on missing the playoffs another 18 years. Life for Marcus Williams, next edition. Firing squad or team hug? If he had hugged <laughs> Stephon Diggs, they wouldn't have a need for a firing squad. <laughs> Neither. Corners are like rugs. Sooner or later, they're going to get beaten. Patriots safety Deron Harmon said, I don't think anybody in their right mind would do that on our team when he heard of the Steelers overlooking the Jags and then Jags corner Jalen Ramsey promising Jackson will come to Foxborough and beat the defending champions. Are Mike Tomlin and Jalen Ramsey nuts? No, just an unhealthy obsession with wanting to play and beat the Patriots. Uh, Mike Tomlin's not, but let me get back to you on Jalen Ramsey, Ron. <laughs> TV ratings down again for divisional playoffs. Is pro football interest on the wane on the wane, it's been on the wane since 1995 when the Cowboys won their last Super Bowl. <laughs> it's on the wane in San Diego and St. Louis, Ron. That's the, end of the That's the end of the first half, but don't go anywhere. When we return, we'll sit down with NFL Network's Charlie Cassily. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome back to the hour number two of the Talk of Fame Network, where in the next 60 minutes we'll be hearing from former GM Charlie Cassidy. And just to guess what I said, he's going to make a video George Kobe. And we'll hand out our Hall of Fame and Shame Awards. For the week, I would guess Marcus Williams might be on there somewhere. But before we do, I want to acknowledge another giant of the business who passed away last week. I know we're last in line here, but that's Keith Jackson, who was in virtually every broadcasting Hall of Fame. He died last Friday night at the age of 89. And just by the reaction to that news, Goose, uh, you could tell how many people he touched, no matter what the age was. Rumbling, stumbling, man had a way with the English language that never grew stale. You know, he, he never wore out his words like the talking heads over at ESPN. If Keith Jackson was there on a college football Saturday, you knew you were at a big game. Whoa, Nelly was a big game. <laughs> well, speaking of rumbling and stumbling, Ron. Yes, sir. I don't, I don't know if you ever, I don't know if you ever met him, but uh, I didn't. But what do you remember most about the guy? Well, I did meet him. You know, he's a real sort of. Uh, Southern guy, slap you on the back, pour you a whiskey guy, you know, which uh, was always, maybe pour you a couple of whiskeys, actually. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things I remember is like Goose pointed out, you know, when you heard his voice, you knew it was a big game, but you also knew he was going to have these folksy, memorable things. And one of the right. ones I always remember is Ohio State was number one in the country, and they were playing Missouri, which I think was 19th at the time. It was an early season game, and, and uh, you know, Missouri hadn't been really good for a long time. And so they, they got on, and he's going on and on about the Buckeyes and the stadium and the horseshoe and blah, blah, blah. And then he, then he gets, finally gets around to Missouri, and he goes, and there's a burly bunch from Boone County, Missouri, waiting for him. <laughs> <laughs> and, man, I would like to be a burly bunch from Boone County, no question. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think you know what? Uh, he, he had a, a persona that was larger than life. When, when the g cameras rolled on a campus, 
the game itself became an event, and Jackson was the ringmaster. Yeah, you, you know, Goose, what's so sad about it is his passing comes on the heels of the death of another great broadcaster. That was Dick Enberg, who we saluted a couple of weeks ago. And, and what both had in common was that they were as good off mic as they were on. And, and there aren't really a whole lot of guys today you can say that about. Okay, Jim McKay, Chris Schenkel, Lindsey Nelson, Ernie Harwell, Vince Scully, Dick Enberg, Keith Jackson, those gentlemen always told the story of the game. They didn't try to be the game. To be a celebrity seems to be more important these days than to be a commentator. Well, Keith Jackson, you're already missed. Whoa, Nelly! We have a commercial break to get to. So we will. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Hey, uh, I was at the grocery store today, and I saw this ad for Earl Campbell Hot Wings. And I thought, wait a minute, Earl Campbell, is that the same guy, Earl Campbell? And you know what? Yeah, it is. Hey, Ron, you ever tried Earl Campbell's Hot Links? I can't say that I have, but I've, I've tried some of those roses from Tyler, Texas, where he was from. They were pretty good. <laughs> you know, I looked and I said, you know, I wonder if there's as much there as there was to Earl's thighs. Goose Man, I, he must have had 50-inch thighs. He was had the biggest thighs I'd ever seen. Yeah, when you look up Power Run Dictionary, there's a picture of Earl Campbell. His success was all about leg drive. His legs were like pistons. And when he hit you, he hurt you. And when you hit him, he carried you. Yeah, that's right. He hurt you. He, well, when you hit him, he hurt you too. Yeah, well. <laughs> didn't matter. You know, First just, time I ever just, saw him on television, you know, he was in college. And I was, a kid, and I remember thinking, he's got his no kidding. I, he's got his thigh pads on backwards. You know, I mean, because there was his legs. He just said, "This can't Huge. be like normal people's legs." Yeah. Are you kidding me? Huge. Yeah. Well, you know, when I saw that, I, just, I came back and I saw. So I, I looked it up online. Went Earl Campbell Hot Links. Guy's been in business for eighteen years with yeah, sausages. It's a, it's a staple down here. Is it really? Well, it, it's it, not just sausages. It's spices, barbecue sauce, seasonings. You probably know goose. Yeah, they got, and they also, they also got Nolan Ryan beef. <laughs> Do I mean, they we, really? love, we love our sports heroes down here. <laughs> love, love, love. They got any well, goose, thing, goose? Can you buy Goose's Goose? That'd be pretty good. We got to get something that. for Tyler Sagan, brewing washout. <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> well, one thing I noticed when I looked online, they won't or can't ship to California. What's up with that, Ron? <laughs> well, can't ship two, sausages to California? Two things. Got to be about the taxes. And it's got to be, if it's not biodegradable or something, you can't, if you can just eat it, no good. It doesn't have yeah. tofu in it, not in California. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Earl Campbell's Hot Links. Get them where I can. I found them at ShopRite. Uh, okay, speaking of hot, uh, I guess it was a dust-up last week with Jerry Rice and the T.O. and Randy Moss fan contingents uh, after Jerry said or tweeted, I guess, something about his accomplishments. I'm not sure what happened, but... Um, what in the world are these guys doing taking on Jerry Rice? I mean, comparing Tio or Randy Moss to Jerry? I don't know. It's like comparing a bungalow to Ron's estate. I mean, I love bungalows, but Goose, I mean, where else can you get heated floors and maybe blueberries and cream than Ron's place? Well, to borrow a line from Jim Croce, don't tug on Superman's cape. There is no future for those Canton aspirants criticizing Unitas, Jim Brown, Jerry Rice, Anthony Munoz, Lawrence Taylor, and Night Train Lane. If you want a bus, don't go there. Just say no to your handlers. <laughs> Just I think you no. forgot Tom Brady there. I think you forgot Tom Brady. Who? I didn't Tom. realize he has a bust. 
Does he have a bust? He does, he does in our house. house. He does in this yeah. house. He's got a shrine in your house. <laughs> Correct. Um, so since we're on the subject, which is wide receivers, uh, Goose, I've heard you say, and maybe you said it on here last week, I think you did, that you believe a wide receiver will be one of the five modern era choices for the class of 2018. So as we know, Owens and Moss are two of them. No, they're not better than Jerry Rice, but they're two of them. And Isaac Bruce, friend of the show, is the third. So who's your front runner? Well, I think Moss is the obvious front runner based on quality of catch, not quantity. He played one fewer season at Owens, but had more career touchdowns, 13 more 100-yard games, and averaged almost a yard more per catch. But if it becomes a contentious debate between the camps of Moss and Owens, Bruce may loom as an attractive compromise candidate. But right now I'd stack a Moss, Owens, Bruce. Can you imagine if, if – <laughs> I'm just laughing at the thought of it. Can you imagine what we're going to hear if Isaac Bruce went in and Moss and oh. Joe did not? Oh, my Lord. Oh, was, my Lord. That's reason right. enough to vote for Isaac Bruce, quite frankly. There is your incentive. I like it. I like it. Oh I totally God. like it. I think I'm going to get in my Tom Brady shrine and hide. <laughs> hey, uh, question, Ronnie. Yeah. Do you think the addition of Moss helps or hurts Owen's case? I mean, I, uh, I don't, not a whole lot. Or does lot it affect it, or does it affect yeah, it either I mean, way? I don't think it really affects it a lot. It probably hurts him a little bit uh, because of what, some of what Goose was saying. But, you know, to me, uh, you know, and we've talked about it um, amongst ourselves many times, I just think uh, he's waited, um, T.O.'s waited long enough. And, and, and frankly, to me, the, one of the interesting things to me in that room is going to be those people who felt so strongly about keeping T.O. Uh, on ice because mm-hmm. of his – uh, non-game behavior. Uh, well, what are you going to do with with Moss, who did many of the same things and and, and bragged about the fact that he played uh, uh, plays when he wanted to play? And I'll tell you, I, I was talking last week to a defensive back who played against him many times and asked him about that very thing, and he said to me, "Oh yeah, he was great, man. And you were afraid of him, except on the days that he made obvious he did not want to play. You going to put that guy in the Hall of Fame on the first ballot? Go ahead, but." Uh, I'm going to have a hard time doing it. Hey, Ron, you said that uh, T.O.'s waited long enough. Uh, has Drew Pearson waited long enough? Yeah, Ooh, more than ouch, long enough. Ouch, I blame ouch. that on you. I, I blame <laughs> it on you. You're from Dallas. What have you been doing down there? Come on. You man. think we should rush everybody inside of three years, huh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> waited hey, long enough, yeah. No, my fault I didn't put Drew, you didn't get Drew Pearson on the list. Come on, man. Do your job, as Coach Belichick would say. <laughs> think Max Beattie waited long enough? Billy Houghton Max waited long enough? Billy Houghton. <laughs> Another Dallas guy that Goose didn't do right by <laughs> Hey, uh, Goose, what did you think about what Pauline had to say last week about the White House? I mean, basically that you check the boxes, production achievement, and then, well, then you come to what this guy was like as a teammate on the field and in the locker room, all areas where at least one of these guys, uh, if not two, failed. Well, if that's your measuring stick, the candidacy of Bruce shines. You know, great player, great teammate. You know, all three of these guys have Hall of Fame resumes. Uh, resumes. You know, I'm kind of surprised more voters haven't warmed up to Bruce for that reason. He has something neither Moss nor Owens has, a championship ring. And Bruce made the play that gave the Rams that Lombardi trophy. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, it's, uh, um, as you know, Goose, whatever it is, 71% or 73% of the people in the Hall of Fame played on championship teams. Yep. Uh, we got three receivers. We got one guy who played on a championship team and made the critical play. And we got a guy, uh, one guy who played in a championship game, uh, and spent most of his time complaining about the fact that his friends were not allowed on the field before the game and did nothing during the game. That would be Randy Moss. And then there was T.O., who had a tremendous Super Bowl against the Patriots on a broken leg, 
and, and would have been MVP if they won nine catches, I believe. Uh, but they didn't win. So if, if winning's part of it, winning the biggest game is a part of it. Uh, that's I think Isaac Bruce is getting shortchanged the whole process, because, probably yeah, because he's with so. these two guys. That's and, right. and, 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 you know, he's so much the opposite, as you guys pointed yeah. out. Right. You know, the other right. two are chess beaters, tub thumpers, you know. Uh, Come on, man. You know, and Isaac right. Bruce just goes, right. well, you know, okay, here I am. Yeah. I'm pretty good. Hope you like me. Well, um, since we're on the subject of Pullian, uh, what did you think of what he had to say of another contested position? That's safety. That basically, if he had to choose, he would take John Lynch over Brian Dawkins. And I know why I said it. He worked with Tony Dungy in Indianapolis. So he knows the value of uh, safeties to that defense. But my feeling is that Dawkins, Goose, not Lynch, probably is the lead dog at that position for the class of 2018. Well, that would be your opinion. You know, there are others in that room who believe Lynch is a stronger candidate, which is why both safeties made the cut to 10 a year ago. In fact, Lynch made the cut to 10 a second consecutive year. So he does have his share of supporters, as does Dawkins. But both of them have... Hall of, Fame, Hall of Fame resumes. I'm a defensive guy. I vote the defensive guys who advance. So it's it's really a coin toss for me. We have we don't have to make a call until one of them gets to the five. Right, right. I mean, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of respect for Bill Polian, of course, and uh, everything he did. Um, but I saw the defense he put together in Indianapolis. So I'm not sure I'd be taking his opinion on on who to play safety. <laughs> you know, those defenses were terrible, man. They were terrible. As one of my old coaches used to say, terrible. Um, you know, but, uh, look, I, I like Dawkins. I think he was the, uh, look, Lynch was important in that defense. No, no question about it. Uh, uh, but I just think Dawkins was the more productive player. And, uh, but one of them better get in this year because Ed Reed's coming yeah, like a freight right. train. And when he does. And, uh, and then Palomalo's coming after him. Palomalo's right. after him. So, um, Goose, uh, since you mentioned, uh, Lynch has been there longer, which he has, he has been in the queue longer. You've always been a proponent of respecting the queue. And if that's the case, do you choose him if you have to over Dawkins, who's in his second year of eligibility? Uh, I think if two players have equal ability, you should pay homage to the Q. And if you think one is better, then you can go with the contract. But if two players have equal ability, I think you and I think we're seeing that with Lynch and uh, and Dawkins. I think some people think he's as good or better than Dawkins, which is why there's a stalemate for these two guys. Okay, well, we not only respect the queue here, we respect the clock, and we're going to have to stop for commercials. But when we return, we're going to hear what former GM Charlie Castle has to say about Hall of Fame candidate Joe Jacoby. That's coming up right after this. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. We all know Charlie Castle is the former Houston Texans GM who moved on to become, well, what I call the NFL Network's player personnel director. But before he was in Houston, he was a Super Bowl winning GM with the Washington Redskins. And he was there when Washington won three Lombardi trophies, all with Hall of Fame candidate Joe Jacoby at tackle. Now, Charlie, I know how passionately you feel about Joe, and this is, as you know, his last year of eligibility as a modern-era candidate. So it's now or never for him and you. So let her rip. Tell us why Joe Jacoby (laughs) should be in Canton. Well, I'll tell you what. When we looked at him, and, of course, Russ Grimm is already in Canton, uh, to me it was Russ Grimm, Joe Jacoby, Joe Jacoby, Russ Grimm. Uh, to me, we looked at him as the same player. Uh, they were a tandem. Now, Jacoby played tackle. Tackle's a tougher position than guard. So you could say maybe Joe had the, the edge right there, and some people felt Joe did have the edge. Uh, during that 10-year period, 
Uh, Joe was our only uh, hog who was able to start all of the, uh, all those 10 seasons and be the start at the start and at the end of the season for those 10 years. Started at left tackle, started at right tackle during that period of time. Uh, the 91 team, which was the last Super Bowl he was on, uh, in 19 games, they gave up nine sacks and only, I think, seven to the starting quarterback. Now, that's when you're playing the Giants with their great front, led by Lawrence Taylor, the Eagles, led by Reggie White and his crew, the Bills, led by Bruce Smith. Uh, you guys will remember the Houston Oilers, great uh, tandem of defensive end, Sean Jones uh, and William Fuller. So he played against a lot of great players. Now, here's the other thing. Normally, when you look at left tackles and the, the pro ball players that we look at nowadays, you say they're great pass blockers. Not many of them can run block. Well, Joe did things that you don't see tackles do now. You don't see a dominant run blocker at left tackle. Joe was a dominant run blocker at left tackle. Joe was a very good pass blocker at left tackle. And then on our signature play called the counter tray, where the running back would start in one direction and turn and go uh, to the opposite direction, you'd pull the backside guard and tackle. That meant Joe Jacoby pulled all the way across the formation, turned downfield, and had to block a linebacker or a safety. Now, tell me the tackle in football that can do that now. There isn't anybody who could do those three things the way he did. Uh, so, you know, Joe was a, uh, a key member of our team uh, during that period. If you go back to when his first year came, he was an undrafted free agent. Well, we know undrafted free agents make the Hall of Fame. John Randall is certainly one that comes to mind right away, and you guys would know a lot more that would come quicker than I might say. But we took Mark May in the first round. Mark May was going to be our left tackle. We signed Joe Jacoby as a college free agent. Turns out Mark May just wasn't a left tackle. He ended up being a very good right tackle and guard in his career. Joe Jacoby was our left tackle. Right there, it started for us in that rookie year. In year two, we win the Super Bowl. I'm not sure we win the Super Bowl if we don't have a left tackle named Joe Jacoby to, to man that left side of the offensive line. So, Charlie, what, what are the voters missing on this guy? Excuse me now? What are the voters missing on Joe Jacoby? I don't know. From 18 years to get in the room, they, they and now me. he's in his third year? <laughs> no, I, don't I, I think one of the things is, uh, and I'm not going to criticize the voters, but you know, there's some voters there who didn't see him play and weren't, weren't around uh, like you guys were when he was in his prime, like his 10 years there. And, you know, it's awfully hard for me to look at players that I've never seen, okay, and have an appreciation for them uh, before I came into the league. So um, I think that's a tough thing to do. Uh, and, 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 you know, that, that requires uh, a lot of work and a lot of trust in other people who have seen them uh, when you make that vote. Do you have any advice uh, for your old friend Larry Michael, who's, the, of course, the broadcaster, but he's also going to be making the case for, for Joe? And, and, you know, he's in a situation where, you know, Jacoby actually went a little backwards uh, last year from where he was the, the year before, which is always kind of concerning if you're presenting a guy. Um, what do you think well, he I has think, to do? Well, I think do? what you have to do is uh, you stick to the facts and you try to take the, the, your facts on Jacoby and compare them to the other offensive linemen that are in the top 15, okay? And you'll, you're always able to find a winning formula there. In other words, we talk a lot about uh, winners, okay, guys who win. Well, Jacoby was a winner, okay, on championship teams, and he was an integral part of those championship teams. So I think you have to stress that. Um, 
He was all decade. He made four Pro Bowls. The Pro Bowl, as we know it today, is not the Pro Bowl that Jacoby was in. Once you put the fans voting into it, you should draw a line and just eliminate them all after that. And then once you started playing the Pro Bowl, okay, earlier than the Super Bowl, you got to eliminate it even more. Right. Because it doesn't mean the same thing anymore. So yeah. stick to the facts, find your angles against each of the people, and bring them in. But don't don't make it personal, make it professional. We're speaking with former GM Charlie Castle, now with the NFL Network on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at, at talkoffamenet. And, Charlie, are, are you cons- concerned that um, there's too much – um, competition here at the offensive line. In other words, if there are five guys up for the Hall of Fame, Joe's one of them, that they might cancel each other out, and, and that might hurt his chances going forward. No, that's an excellent point. That's an excellent point because um, without uh, being involved in it, okay, from the outside in, the common sense thing is that tells me there's five guys there that people feel should be in the Hall of Fame. And just right. by that no, uh, point, you're going to cancel some guys out. So, uh, yeah, and, and it's tough uh, when you have that situation. And probably all five of the guys deserve to be in the Hall of Fame at some point in their career. problem is Joe, Joe's down to the, uh, the 11th hour, and it's 11, it's 11.59 of the last hour. Right, right. You said he was, um, if you had a choice of the two, if you're building the line right now, you had a choice of Jacoby or Grimm, which one would you take? Jacoby, the left Sorry. tackle. Left tackle. You start with the left tackle. Okay. Yeah, Joe, Joe, Joe Gibbs told me that um, Jacoby had the toughest job in the counter tray. Is that accurate? And Well, because he's, he's pulling the farthest, um, and you know he's got to have to make the athletic block, uh, and he's got to read the guy in front of him and, and read the other blocks in front of him, too. So that, that's why I would think it would be the toughest Um uh, blocker, toughest position to play on that play, uh, the counter trade. Well, Charlie, uh, the Vosges did something last year uh, that the guys here know. You know, I was not in favor of, which uh, was we voted in uh, Terrell Davis, uh, even though he really had only had three Hall of Fame worthy seasons. Uh, now you've got, uh, uh, which to me was a opening a Pandora's box. We'll find out this year because we have Tony Baselli who's going to be in the competition, of course, and everyone knows was a great tackle, but only played really seven years. What do you make of short careers in general, and uh, do you think they should be a significant factor in the Baselli uh, case? Jim Lachey doesn't even get considered. Jim right. Lachey was a dominant left tackle during his period in the league, okay, and uh, and he played on. You know, football team, and he played on that '91 team that uh, gave up the the nine sacks, uh, whatever it was, uh, in 19 games that we had. Yeah. So, um, short careers are hard. Uh, you know, Terrell Davis is a colleague of mine, so obviously I, I have a, a feeling for him in these situations. Um, uh, my point is, uh, a Hall of Fame player, okay, is a, a dominant player. He is, he, is, he is a dominant player. Dominant means he's either the best at his position or one of them for a period in his career. Now, period is the key, okay? You'd like to see it for an extended period of time uh, when you make that decision. Right. 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 Hey, Charlie, um, Joe Jacoby's not the only Washington Redskin or former Redskin who's up here. Uh, Bobby Beathard is, too. And, of course, you know Bobby very well, so do we. 
you worked with him for many years. I, I got to ask you a question about Bobby uh, before this is over. You've been an outspoken supporter of him through the years. Um, what was the best advice you ever got from him? I think the thing is is ignore other people, okay? And and uh, I got a lot of good advice from him. I got a lot of things watching him. Uh, you know, admit a mistake and get on from it. Uh, but I remember when I, I first started scouting, and then we get these combine grades and everything, and I didn't know one thing from another. And I said to Bobby, I said, I'm looking at this player from Eastern Kentucky. I said, Bobby, this guy's very good. He can't do X, Y, and Z, et cetera. And, but I think I got this grade on him. He says, ignore it. The grade doesn't mean anything. It's what you believe and what you see with your eyes is what you have faith in. And, uh, and obviously that's, there's a lot of truth in that. Because we're still going to be the only guy standing, as I was with Jacoby, uh, to say sign him. And my right-hand man, Joe Bugle, was the coach. Should I help, too? But uh, uh, believe in your convictions. Is there a favorite draft pick you had by Bobby, a guy he found later in a draft that became, became a really a Timmy Smith-type player or something? Well, he, he certainly had a knack for finding players. Um, you know, uh, uh, Charles Mann was a third-round pick out of Nevada, Reno. Uh, and we can talk about a guy, Charlie Brown, who was an excellent pick. Uh, you know, I believe Charlie came in the eighth round of South Carolina State, had a fine career for us. But, you know, Charles Mann coming out of Nevada, Reno, not that people didn't scout him and know who he was, but having the conviction to take him in the third round. And obviously Charles went on and, and, and uh, had a fantastic career and, and was one of the best defensive ends in the NFL for a number of years. You know, it's funny. We asked Bobby when he was on the show, what was your favorite draft pick, the guy that you're, you're most proud of? He said Daryl Green. Well, I was looking for somebody that passed it. <laughs> okay, certainly. Yeah, 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 I know. Was, I know. Yeah, you know, in the first round. But in fairness now, you know, Darrell was 5'8", 168 pounds. Um, right. And Bobby never backed off. He, this is the guy we wanted. This is the guy we're taking. But there's a little luck involved because the Raiders um, took Dan Mosbar, who was in the hospital with back surgery, and didn't know it. <laughs> they didn't yes. take him. Darrell Green was going to be their guy. Yeah. Hey, Charlie, I, I know you've got to run, but thanks so much for the time. Thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be with you now. Thanks, Charles. You got it. That was Charlie Casserly. Up next, we're going to hand out awards, kick the tires of history, and we're going to hear from Ron. That's all coming up after this. You're listening to the Dr. Pink Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Hey, before we get going, uh, let's hear it for Hall of Famer Len Dawson. Um, you know, I meant to say something last week, but with the Chiefs' loss in the playoffs, um, Len's career as the team's broadcaster ended. Uh, he joined the Chiefs' team as a color analyst in 1984 and was so good that he's not only in Canton as a player, but he's in there as a broadcaster enshrined in 2012. And Goose, I know you lived in Kansas City. You covered the Chiefs. I know you know Len Dawson. You have any favorite stories? Well, I wasn't around for Len's playing career. He retired after the 76 season, and I got there in 1977. But my favorite Len Dawson story comes from his playing days. He became the sports anchor at the ABC affiliate in Kansas City in the 70s. He would go spend a day at practice with the Chiefs, then go to the studio that night and serve as a sports anchor for the 6 and 10 newscast. Ron, can you see Tom Brady pulling that double? 
No, and I can't see him with the acetylene torch with Johnny Unitas either. But I can see him in Oaks. Whatever he's doing with those Oaks. But you can't see him in my shrine right here. I'm looking at him right now. Again, have you lit um, the candles yet tonight? <laughs> they are lit. Hey, hey Goose, did, did he have any signatures calls? Like, you know, we talked earlier about uh, Keith Jack, like a whoa, Nelly, or uh, oh, my. Uh, he, was, he was the color analyst, not the play-by-play guy. But I will say this. He worked with Lane, Wayne Larrabee, now the voice of the Packers. He worked with Kevin Harlan, now the voice of Monday Night Football for Westwood One. Yeah. My friend, his nickname was Leonard the Cool, and I remember a photo of him taken during halftime of Super Bowl One, where he's smoking a cigarette and drinking a fresca. The, the guy was unflappable on the field, on the air, and in life. And, and speaking of cigarettes, Ron, I remember when I first broke into the business in the early 70s, covering baseball, where there was an ashtray in every locker stall at the clubhouse. Boy, it was a different time back then. Yeah, you're not, you're not kidding, are you? I remember one of the great shocks of my life as a young reporter was walking in the Raiders' locker room for the first time, and there's Jack Tatum smoking a cigarette in his locker. <laughs> you know, and his hair's got kind of disheveled, and he looks like he got the penitentiary face. And he looks up at me, takes that cigarette out, and blows some smoke my way. <laughs> yeah, okay, it's a great career choice. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that photo, Goose, because I saw it today. I was looking at Len, some Len Dawson uh, items on, online or so. I saw this picture of the black and white photo and went, when was that taken? Halftime? Are you kidding me? He's smoking a cigarette. Oh, my God. Well, anyway, good luck in your next venture, Lenny, wherever you are. We tried to reach him this week. We did. Goose tried to reach him, but when he said he was leaving, apparently he meant it. So we're still looking for him. If you know, uh, just call 1-800-ASK-RICK. But you know where Len Dawson is. Uh, okay. Speaking of historical figures, uh, there are going to be plenty of them in Minnesota if the Vikings win this weekend. First of all, uh, no city that hosts the Super Bowl has ever had its home team play the game in its own stadium. And second, indoor teams don't win outdoor conference championship games. I mean, you can look it up because they don't. Um, nevertheless, the Vikings are a betting favorite. I think they're a three-and-a-half-point favorite, uh, not to mention an emotional favorite. Going to Sunday's game. So, um, Goose, who do you got? How do you like their chances? Well, you know, the Vikings may be a dome team, but that's a name only. You know, Mike Zimmer has crafted this into a weatherproof team that relies on its defense and running game. You know, the Dennis Green Vikings were a dome team that played like a dome team. They needed good weather and ideal conditions to play with its, um, play up to its potential offensively. Not so the Zimmer Vikings. If you can play defense and run the football, you can travel and succeed in any conditions. Bud Grant would love this team, and I do like their chances in what figures to be a low-scoring game. Well, yeah, Bud would also like playing against Nick Foles, I would, I would think. That's <laughs> and so does Mike Zimmer. Uh, so does Mike Zimmer. Uh, you know, uh, but I'll, I'll tell you, you know, uh, one thing that, that uh, does have to concern you a little bit is, um, you know, you, you look at that last week game and you say, no, wait a minute, you know, they're, they're, they're one lucky play from being home. So was that just an aberration, which it probably was, you know. Uh, but you, you do th- at least I do think in the back of my head, you know, maybe they're not quite what we think they are, and uh, maybe that you know they're playing another team with a strong defense and uh, and I would say a, a superior offense to theirs. Not great, not the world's greatest, but but better, and uh, that's why I think it could be a really quite a battle, uh, and, and not as easy as maybe some people think. You thought the pages weren't that good because of the tuck rule. <laughs> well, if, well yeah, if they enforced right. the proper rules there, there would have been no Patriot Dynasty. But there we go. 
snow bowl. You know what? I'll never forget that Goose and I were in Chicago. Do you remember that, Goose? And we were sitting next to a table of officials. And the minute that thing came, I went, oh, geez, game's over. And these guys go, no, it's not. We said, what do you mean? That's a fumble. They go, no, it's not. That's a forward pass. What? Tuck rule. Oh, man. First time I ever heard it. First fumble. So they saw the replaces. That'll be overturned. Yeah. It's funny. First time I'd ever heard it. I'll tell you guys a funny story. I, uh, you know, uh, everybody was scrambling for columns and everything, of course, you know. And I hit on this. I, I got an idea. just popped my head. And I called Ben Dreith, who made the call of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, you know, Stable get hit in the head by Ray Hamilton uh, many, many years prior to that. So I called him out in St. George, Utah. I said, you watching the game? Yeah. I said, what do you think of that call? And he just went off. You know, that's a fumble. What the hell is wrong with these guys? That's been a fumble for 100 years. And blah, blah, blah. It was he didn't great. say they're giving him the business, did he? Yeah, he did not say they were giving him the business because <laughs> they gave the business to the Raiders. And, and Charles Woodson will still tell you that to this day. <laughs> now, Goose, if it wasn't the Raiders, do you think Ron would be saying this? No, no. That was a good call. That was a good call. <laughs> well, they made the right call in the Ray Hamilton game. That's no question about that. They hit sneak in the head. Hey, Goose, man, you're a history major. Um are the Vikings the 2000 Baltimore Ravens all over again? Uh, more like the 2015 Broncos or the 2013 Seahawks, 2008 Steelers, 2002 Buccaneers. Like these Vikings, those Super Bowl champs all led the NFL in defense. Surprisingly, the 2000 Ravens did not. Ooh, wow, okay. Well, uh, Ron, we have four quarterbacks left. That would be Bortles, Foles, Keenum, and Tom Brady. We could have had Breeze, Ryan, Roethlisberger, and... Tom Brady, but we don't. So what impact on, well, fan interest or the ratings, whatever, uh, would you say a Bortles-Foles or Bortles-Keenum match in the Super Bowl might have? <laughs> well, I, I, I would say this. I, th- I think in a conference championship situation, conference games, uh, or, or even divisional plus, I think it, it, it would matter. I, the Super Bowl to me is different. You know, it's become this sort of national holiday it's more about house parties and watching the commercials and, and right. whose wardrobe malfunctions like yours has done several times clark uh you know and all, all that you know all that sort of stuff uh, and I, and so i think that you know you got the i would argue the majority of people watching the super bowl aren't really watching the super bowl you know they're at the party they're eating they're drinking they're drinking they're eating they're drinking they're drinking uh you know and they're watching the commercials they're drinking and occasionally they look at the game so i i don't think it would affect the super bowl because so little of it is about the game unfortunately well goose quickly i'm going to digress here but and make this quick but you know what i love about bortles i mean he completes a handful of second half passes played well and his fans now demand apologies from his critics worse i mean they see him as some kind of i don't know second coming to mark burnell i guess because he threw for more than 33 yards in the first half but I'm going to be honest with you, Goose. I look at this guy, and I still see more Bobby Douglas in him than Bobby Lane. And and the same thing with Bortles. And I'm sure that's what they're going to tell him. Go out there, play, but please don't get us in trouble, and and we'll be okay. (laughs) Okay, listen, I I mentioned awards, and yes, we have them too. You get everything this week on the Talk of Fame Network. Everything! And the awards are our nominees for the Talk of Fame Network's Halls of Fame, or shame, from the playoffs. And, Ron, let's start with you. Yes, sir. Fame, shame, I don't care where you go. Let's hear it. Well, my mine's easy. We've touched on it a little bit. Is that same safety, uh, Marcus Williams? Look, he's a yes, he's a rookie. Yes, he played well this season. Yes, he had an important pick earlier in the game against the Vikings. But oh no, ho oh, Nelly! He missed an open field tackle that cost his team a trip to the conference championship. Sorry, kid. That's a Hall of Shame Career Achievement Award in one. <laughs> 
My, my Hall mad? of Fame shout-out goes to New Carolina quarterbacks coach Scott Turner, the son of Norv Turner. When he was an assistant coach in Minnesota in 2015, he pounded the table for wide receiver Stephon Diggs, and the Vikings wound up drafting him in the fifth round. Turner success, unsuccessfully recruited Diggs out of high school when he was an assistant at Pitt in 2010 and never gave up hope that one day he could coach him. The Vikings are lucky Turner had the strength of his scouting convictions. Well, this one's as easy for me as Ron's was for him. Uh, I'd like to nominate Jacksonville cornerback Jalen Ramsey for the Hall of Shame. I mean, shortly after the Jags upset Pittsburgh, remember he and his teammates rightly criticized the Steelers, specifically Mike Mitchell, for looking past them to New England. Okay, I get that. You know, fair enough. But then they fly home to Jayville, and what's the first thing Jalen Ramsey does? Pulls a Mike Mitchell and guarantees a Super Bowl. We're going to win the Super Bowl. You hear me? Guarantees it. You can't make this stuff up. Hey, Jalen. You're going to New England, where the Patriots are 18-3 and in the playoffs, where Tom Brady never lost a conference championship game as the number one seed, and where your franchise not only hasn't beaten him in five tries, he's thrown 14 TDs and zero interceptions against you. Ah, Goose, ah, I don't get it. It's like Forrest Gump, that great philosopher, said, stupid is as stupid does. Hey, Ron, I'm sure Clark trashed Joe Namath after he guaranteed that win over his beloved Colts. <laughs> yeah, I did. Nothing wrong, nothing wrong with a little talk if you can back it up. Exactly right. Just have to back it up. That's all. That's, you can say whatever <laughs> you want. You know, you can say whatever you want. Just have to okay, make sure that well, you win. I tell you what. I tell you what we're going to say. We're going to go to Ron Borges because he's going to say whatever he wants to. You know what? I'm going him for my Hall of Fame. That's right, Ronnie, a.k.r. Ron Borges, is here with his Borges or Bogus. Ronnie, well, this week, take this it week away, was a, was another. This was another easy one, Clark, this week. The Steelers used to ride the bus when Jerome Bettis was in Pittsburgh. Now they can't fit enough guys under the bus that Ben Roethlisberger is driving. <laughs> Twice in the span of a month, the Steelers' purported leader has gone public with excuses for failure that pointed directly at Pittsburgh's coaching staff in general and offensive coordinator Todd Haley in particular. Roethlisberger may well have had a point, but his way of handling those situations was bogus. When the Steelers came out of a long replay timeout that resulted in not only uh, overturning what they thought might be the winning touchdown against their hated rivals, the Patriots, uh, but actually was ruled an incompletion, they were utterly unprepared for what to do next. While they'd had many minutes, five to be exact, to plan for all eventualities, they seemed shocked to have the ball placed back where they started rather than on the goal line when they needed a touchdown to win with 28 seconds to play. Moments later, after completion was short of the goal line, it's another chaotic interlude. Roethlisberger f- failed to spike the ball uh, to buy time to set up the game-tying field. Instead, was ordered to fake it and threw a game-ending interception. He couldn't get to the microphone fast enough to say, Not my idea! <laughs> Following day, head coach Mike Tom had to admit, Yeah, there was a little confusion on the sidelines. His other choice was to call his quarterback's veracity into question. This is not the way to build team chemistry. Then comes Sunday's playoff loss to the Jaguars where the Steelers twice were stopped on fourth and one. Both times it appeared in replay that there was ample room in the middle for Big Ben to run a quarterback sneak for a yard. When he asked why he didn't, he said, I'm not allowed to check out of a play that Haley calls. to. I can't sneak it even if I see by the way the defense lines up that I can get the first down. Big, Big Ben then takes it a step further, backing up the bus to make sure he got Tomlin too. He claimed he'd asked for the right to audible, but Tomlin said, no way, Jose. In other words, blame the nitwits in the Letterman jacket over there. Don't blame me. Ben may have had valid points in both cases, but the way he aired them publicly was bogus. 
Perhaps he felt he had no other choice. Perhaps he's tired uh, of losing. Perhaps he's tired of dealing with confusion on the on the sidelines. Maybe he's just tired of seeing the Patriots not be confused. Whatever Roethlisberger's reasoning, one thing's obvious. The on-field leader of the Steelers wasn't willing to take responsibility for those losing endings, and no one's going to forget it. Ron, this is what happens in the NFL when you start paying your quarterback more than your entire coaching staff combined. <laughs> yeah, I think so. You look, I mean, you, you feel empowered, and empowered he is. What are they going to do about it? You know, which is, which is why I don't buy the I can't audible to sneak. What are they going to do, fire him? <laughs> Just sneak the thing. What, what's, what's Mike hey, Tomlin going to do? Yes. Ron, speaking of the bus, we got to get on one to go to commercial. <laughs> when we come back, you're going to take us through another two-minute drill. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Okay, Gene Steratour, let's hear that whistle again. That's the two-minute warning. That means that either Grady Jarrett just jumped off sides again or we're on to the two-minute drill. And I think we're on to the two-minute drill. So, Ron, let's get started. We'll use my favorite word here, boys. Who is more disrespected, Nick Foles, Case Keenum, or Blake Bortles? Tom Brady. Guy does more with less than anyone out there. Three quarterbacks were nominated for the NFL Offensive Player of the Week Award. Nick Foles was the only omission. Will any of those three win the Earl Morrill Backup of the Year Award and take their team to the Super Bowl? Let's see, Ron. Uh, Jalen Ramsey told me one of them in Philadelphia is guaranteed to win. So, yes. <laughs> At least one of them will, and he'll be carrying that NFC banner to Minneapolis. Uh, music City Miracle, Miracle in Minnesota, or Miracle on 42nd Street? Miracle on 34th Street. Natalie Wood trumps all. The Miracle on the Hudson. Oh, that's good. If the Vikings reach Super Bowl 52, we'll be playing it in their stadium. Is that a home field advantage or a home field distraction? Home field advantage. Get to go to Murray's every night. For selfish reasons, I'd rather the NFL game be played in Dallas. For the same selfish reasons, the Vikings would prefer they play that game in Minneapolis. The Falcons scored an average of half as many playoff points this season as a year ago. Can offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian survive the drop-off? Yes, but the Falcons can't. When in doubt, blame an assistant. Aaron Rodgers' best choice, Danica Patrick, Olivia Mum, or his pickup truck? Pickup truck with Danica Patrick driving. His best choice is Randall Cobb on a nine route. <laughs> You've never seen Olivia Munn, my friend. Uh, the, Patriots have, <laughs> the Patriots have never had a negative turnover differential during their seven-game home playoff winning streak. Can the Jaguars' defense change that? No. <laughs> Let me ask that with a question. Who is more likely to turn the ball over this weekend, Tom Brady or Blake Bortles? <laughs> Which brings me to the word disrespect. Uh, Bengals backup quarterback A.J. McCarron says he would have welcomed the trade to Cleveland. Does he read the papers? Papers? What are papers? Papers? <laughs> Maybe he was hoping to play for the Cavaliers or Indians. Does <laughs> Ben Roethlisberger's recent announcement that he wants to play at least three more years signal the last days for offensive coordinator Todd Haley? No. Fourth and one does. If he's looking for work, Atlanta could use him. That's the end of the game. We want to thank Ernie Corsi, Charlie Cashley, Mark Craig for joining us, Robert Harris Jr. for producing us, and you for listening to us. If you want to hear this or any podcast, just go to our website, thebetalkoffamenetwork.com, or find us on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, look for us next week at this time and on this station. We'll be here. We hope you will be, too.